The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, this coming Saturday, myself and a couple of my kids are going to an event in Sacramento where it's put on by the Alternatives Pregnancy Center in Sacramento. Shai Lin is going to be there preaching and performing. There's going to be other speakers. Uh, this is Alternatives Pregnancy Center is a great organization in Sacramento, if you're not aware of them, for Christians and churches to support right in the heart of that city. They're seeking to rescue children. And I was reminded this week in my preparation of an album that Shai Lin has done for children It's called Stories, and one of the stories that he tells there poetically is on the Passover, which is our study today in Exodus 12, if you would be turning there. And if you're joining us here today, we are going through the book of Exodus. And the song starts in the 1400s BC in Egypt, that first Passover, where a dad asks his son to pass the lamb, and the daughter is crying and he asks her why and she says I don't I don't want to eat fluffy and then the boy the son mocks her and says just tastes like chicken to me mm, mm, mm. and the daughter runs off crying the dad says he's going to talk to the son later but he goes to find the daughter and to try to explain to her why they had to kill this lamb fluffy who had been living with them that week here's how It's imagine, listen to me, baby girl. I know that you're upset. Come here to daddy. Let me dry your eyes. What I'm about to tell you, girl, you must not forget. Listen very closely and I'll tell you a surprise. Remember when I introduced you to Mr. Aaron, that man who pinched your cheeks and said, you've got a nice dress? Well, him and Mr. Moses have been talking to the Pharaoh And the God of Abraham is going to give his people rest. You know how when you do bad things and then you get a beating? Well, God punishes our wrongs. He can't just look the other way because that would mean he's cheating. But unbelievably, God has been patient for so long, but now time is running out. And so is God's pity. Tonight, he's going to send the destroyer through the city The firstborn in every house is going to perish because God is that ruler that they don't want to cherish. So look over there, honey. See that blood on the door? When God sees that, he said he's going to pass by. By faith, we're believing the word of the Lord that whoever isn't covered by the blood is going to die. So now back to Fluffy. It doesn't seem nice, but part of God's plan was to substitute another, an innocent victim. Fluffy paid the price because if it isn't Fluffy, it's going to be your brother. She says, I don't want my brother to die. And he says, we don't either. But she understands then that in his place, that innocent lamb would be slain and would pay the price as a substitute, and I think that's a, a very perfect introduction to our text, Exodus 12. I want to begin reading in verse 13. 
God says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get the word pass over from. I will pass over you when I see the blood, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Look down at verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons or your children forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt When he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. God wanted children to be able to understand. God wanted parents to to teach them. But this is a, a vivid passage here where the question is what does what does this mean? What does all this mean? It's anticipated that children are going to see all that they're doing because they would celebrate this every year and ask, what does this mean to you? And so the question of the text that we're going to walk through is we're going to look at this event and we're going to look at what it meant for them because when we talk about what it means, we need to understand what did it mean when God gave this to Israel but then also what the Bible says it means for us as believers in Jesus. And there's two key elements in verses 14 through 28 that will be our text here today. The feast of unleavened bread and then the Passover and the, the blood of the Lamb. And we're going to start with Old Testament Israel, but we also need to consider the New Testament gospel and how it speaks of these things. There's two phrases the Bible uses that will help us walk through this text and how it applies. The first is, beware the leaven, verses 14 through 20. And then, behold the lamb, verses 21 through 28. First, beware the leaven. And the, the Bible's going to use that exact phrase later, but I want to start with this warning here in verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your gener- generations as a statute forever in the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening. So this is their first month of the year on the 14th day, almost exactly the time of month that we're at here on our first month of the year. He says, you shall observe this and eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing 
leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. He says it repeatedly, this emphasis on beware the leaven. But first of all, we need to be aware of what leaven actually is. This isn't a word that we use in our everyday vocabulary. What is leaven? Another word would be yeast. This is what makes bread rise or what makes the the bread in your house fluffy. Uh, Unleavened bread would be flat bread would be another way to describe that. Uh, If you've got crackers in your house, crackers don't have leaven or, or yeast. That's why they're so thin. Jewish matzah is what they would call it, and they would eat it these seven days. This was very important. The language of the text is is emphasizing that it needed to be unleavened bread, not only that they would eat, but in their homes there needed to be nothing leavened in those days. I don't know if you've heard of friendship bread. Raise your hand if you've heard of friendship bread. Okay, a bunch of you. Um, I remember hearing about this, uh, and I, I guess... Ladies share recipes and ingredients, and maybe some guys do, but they in- include starter. And I remember people telling me about, do you have some starter? And I'm thinking these ladies are talking about something in their car. You know, do you have a, an extra starter? But it's not about a car. This is starter for bread, I learned. That's a, a lump of dough that has leaven in it. And so you've got this lump. I may be explaining this wrong. You guys can correct me afterwards. But you share this lump, and then you begin to mix it in with your other ingredients. And because it has leaven in it, even a little bit, as you mix it through in your kneading bowl and with your other dough, it, it's going to rise. And, and there's different ingredients mixed together. And it didn't take a lot of leaven to leaven the, the whole lump so that it would grow. In this context, there's no time for that. The angel of death is coming. They can't wait for something to rise. They can't wait till morning. They need to eat quickly. They need to flee that night. They're going to be on the run that entire week. And what God is having them remember from here on out is is they're going to celebrate a whole, they're going to take a whole week out of their, the first month of their year, every year, and they're not going to eat any leavened bread to be reminded of how they had been delivered how their forefathers had been redeemed and and delivered out of slavery. And so look at verse 34. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. So all that they would have in their kitchen that they could carry, they're binding it up, they're putting it on their backs and in sacks. And verse 39, and they baked unleavened cakes of the of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. This is the fastest way that they could have something to eat to sustain them. And look at chapter 13, verse 7, where he says, Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, this is again what you're to pass on to your children, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. And so they were to touch They were to taste and see how the Lord had been good in delivering his people from Egypt. 
It was a memorial for the eyes. It was a, a memory aid. It was a visual aid. Not just for their eyes, but it was to be in their hand and it was to be in their mouth. And normally, in, in the Middle East, and the Mediterranean area, different kinds of bread would be eaten. Pita bread is, is common and other types of bread. Bakeries there have, have wonderful breads, but this would be different this week. And kids would ask, why is it that we don't have any bread in our house? Why are we eating these cakes of matzah all week rather than the normal bread that they would eat? And parents were to answer, it's because of the Passover night. They, they were to tell the story, and they were to love to tell the story. They, they were to be looking forward to when their kids would ask, and they could tell them about what had happened with their forefathers. And then Deuteronomy 16, verse 3, explains it further. Let me just read it. Seven days you shall eat with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. So it's the unleavened bread is the bread of affliction. For you came out of Egypt in haste, out of the land, that, and you were to eat it, that all the days of your life you, you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days. He wanted them to never forget Never forget the day of your deliverance. Never forget the day of your redemption. Never forget how God saved you from Egypt. And this unleavened bread then is explained as bread of affliction. To remember their afflictions. Don't, don't you remember how bad it was? Because even in this generation, they would, be, they would have a, a selective memory. They would think it was better than it was. And as they would eat this, they were to remember how how bad it was and, and how bitter it was as they would eat the bitter herbs as we looked at last time. But just as they would quickly flee and no longer see the land of Egypt, there was no longer to be seen leaven among them that week. They needed to remove, verse 15, chapter 12, verse 15, they needed to remove leaven in their homes. And this became a symbol also of that old life that they're coming out of. There was a, a purging that would be needed they're not to go back into their old ways, their old life. And this became a, a symbol, a, a spiritual symbol to remind them of what they came from. And they're not to go back. And there's a warning here to watch out for or to beware the leaven this week. Because it says twice, whoever eats leaven will be cut off. The idea is discipline or disfellowship by the community. If you look at the middle of verse 19, cut off from the congregation of Israel, or one translation has the community of Israel, at the very least to be cut off from the feast or to be cut off in a more serious way from Israel and covenant blessings. Sometimes God himself would, would discipline by cutting off a person. Sometimes even he would cut down in death a disobedient sinner. That's not the language here. He's not telling Israel to stone this person like he'll do in the law later. He doesn't tell Israel to cut off the life of the sinner. But in some way, the life of Israel was cut off from sinners who would eat leaven that week. And this central celebration of, of their identity, they would be cut off from the blessings of that and the covenant community and their worship and their fellowship, either for a time or for a longer time unless they could be restored. And this whole idea of being clean or cleansed, 
if you were unclean, as the law is going to later lay out, you, you couldn't come back to God's people while you were unclean. You had to go to the, the priest, and you had to go through a process of cleansing that we'll come back to later. But this whole concept of, of cleaning and cleansing and purging is, is what's important in this passage here. I've heard a Jewish person say that the, the Jewish people invented spring cleaning. This is at the, the springtime of year, and, and they would go through thoroughly, and, and even to this day, I'm understood the Orthodox will thoroughly clean their houses each spring in preparation for Passover. There's things that they need to get out of their home, and, and I'm, I'm told some of them will, will loan certain things to their Gentile neighbors, just tell this is over, and then get them back. Um, but but they, 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 take, they took this very serious, and, and, but there's also this symbol here of a, a, a spiritual clean sweep of our life that we need. And I think even in the beginning of their year, this was something that God wanted them to do. And as we begin the first month of our year, it's good for us also to consider what is it that needs to be cleaned out from our old life? Is there vestiges of, of where we've come from or, or things that really belong in the past that we need to leave there and not go back to those things in the past and move forward? That was part of the, the faithful Jews' mindset in the first month of their year. And so as we think of this Feast of Unleavened Bread, the, the question of verse 26 of this whole passage is, what does this mean? What does this mean for you as we think of this feast or this festival? Colossians 2 tells us, talking about the Jewish feasts or festivals, it says, these things are a shadow of things to come. The substance is found in Christ. And so with the whole Bible before us, we're told that those feasts, those festivals, those were just shadows. Those were pointing forward to something that was coming and that the substance we now know is Christ. So the Passover feast, the unleavened bread, there's, there's a, a shadow here of something that's coming. The reality is Christ. That's what this means for us today. Not the shadow. You guys remember Wendy Darling? She had the shadow of Peter Pan. You know the story. She had the it's a fairy tale, but she had the shadow, but then once Peter arrives, once he comes, when when he's in the room, she's talking to the real person now. The the, the substance behind that is is there and and it's not the shadow anymore that she's gonna focus on. She, it, it's the person and, and this person is gonna take her to Places that she could only imagine before. She just had the shadow before. And that's how much more we have with all of God's word. All those things were just shadows, but now the, the person has come and, and there's marvelous things that he shows us and places where he takes us. And so this Jewish feast in Exodus 12 is a shadow, like all of the feasts, of things to come in the gospel. Christ is the real person that we need to look to and, and focus on from now on. And he's going to take his people to a a land and kingdom that's better than any fairy tale. And so let's go with him to Luke chapter 12, Gospel of Luke chapter 12. And if you were with us last time, we saw the Lord Jesus went into the temple. He went into God's house, and it says it was at the time when the Passover of the Jews was at hand. This is in John chapter 2. 
And he came in there and he cleaned out the house. You remember that? He, he cleaned and, and cleansed out everything that was wrong with, with God's house. He, he purged it and, and drove everything out and everyone out who wasn't supposed to be there. And he said this, Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And, and so Jesus is, is, is saying, this is, this is the father's house and, and you have corrupted it and it needs to be cleansed. And he does this at the beginning of the Passover feast. It wasn't just leaven that he was concerned about in the house. It was corrupt religion. And so as Passover comes, he cleanses the house of the Lord before Passover. And if you would look with me at Luke 12, verse 1, he says, In the meantime, when so many people, or many thousands of the people, had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So there it is. Beware of leaven. And he explains, It's not what's in bread. It's what's in bad teaching. In fact, he told his disciples earlier in Matthew 16, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And some of the disciples are thinking, oh, we didn't bring bread. This is a, a parable, you know, rebuking us for not being prepared. And, and he says, I didn't speak to you about the leaven of bread. And it says, oh, then the disciples understood. He wasn't talking to them about the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So beware of leaven that goes in dough. They knew that growing up. Jesus is saying, beware of leaders who make people go in dark places, who teach things that are not from God's word. Watch out for hypocrisy. Watch out, and not just in others. Watch out for hypocrisy in yourself. That's a a leaven that we need to purge. Beware of legalism would be another way to say it. Remove it from your life. Beware of hypocrisy. Beware of teaching contrary to the gospel. Turn to 1 Corinthians 5. And there is actually another place where Paul talks about legalism, works-based religion, adding things that we must do to be saved. And Paul in Galatians 5 says this, that that influence is not from him who calls you. And then Paul says this, a little leaven leavens, what? The whole, the whole lump. A little leavens the whole, even a little legalism, even a little false religion will grow like yeast. How many of us would say, I'll I'll just take a little poison with my drink or a little poison with my food. It'll be okay. It's just a little. No, it's it's dangerous. And, And with yeast or with leaven, it gets bigger, it spreads, and it grows, it rises. And so he says, beware the leaven. We might say this, beware even the little sin within. In 1 Corinthians 5, there was serious sexual immorality in the church. And some were apparently boasting about how they tolerated, how tolerant they were of sin, and it grew And so chapter 5, verse 6 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
It seems to be a proverbial saying that they knew. So verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So this is... In the context here in verse 13, the house of God, there's purging of evil, flagrant, unrepentant sin. Even in the new covenant also cuts off us from the blessings of Christian fellowship and the community of faith when it continues. And he's going to say in chapter 11 about the Lord's table, some of them were sick. Some of them had actually died because they were not examining themselves. They were not dealing with sin in their hearts and their relationships even before communion. God does sometimes discipline in the New Testament church, even to the point of cutting off the life of, you think of Ananias and Sapphira as they lied and and might have said, well, it's just a little lie. I mean, we did sell, we did get these proceeds, but they lied and said they gave all of the proceeds to the church when they hadn't. And and the, the point of all this is that sin is deadly serious, even a little Leaven can spread that corrupting influence, and it can come out in the way that you speak. That, that root of bitterness that grows up in you can, can rise up and can defile many as, as you speak in ways that Christians are not to speak of fellow Christians. It's not a little lie. It's not a, a little lust. So people talk about a little white lie. There, there is... No such thing. Whatever sin we have, the, 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 the tendency and the propensity of it is if for it to get bigger. If it's not dealt with and not repented of, it grows. It rises like yeast and it contaminates others. That, that, again, that root of bitterness or that, that sinfulness in our heart can affect and influence others around us. And, and I've seen that. I've seen that spread. And so it's not only in God's house But in your own house or in your own heart by way of application, we need sin to be cleansed. We need to not contaminate others. We need to beware the leaven of malice, he calls it here, evil. He says that's what celebrating the festival means for us. We we need to deal with that in our heart. So I need to ask you what I've asked myself this week. Where does your home, where does your heart need some house cleaning? As we think of this new year, what's an area of your life that you need help? And you may need help from someone in this room, from another believer. If there's something you need to get rid of or to share that with someone else for prayer, for accountability. There might even be something in your home that you need to get rid of. Or or what you're doing in the privacy of your own heart. Or what you're looking at or what you're indulging in. You need to to get it out. You need to cut off the the access, lest sin would cut you off from from God and the blessings of walking in obedience. So what sin is it that you are tolerating? What sin is it that you're treating lightly? You're just thinking it's a little thing, it's no big deal. Yeah, I know that's sin, but, but it's not as bad as this other person over here. That's not the issue of the other person. This is about your own heart with the Lord, and to remember a little becomes bigger. And God says, purge the evil. If there's malice in you, if there's 
ill will, or just someone you just really don't like to be around, even here in this room, if, if you hypocritically or legalistically are, are tending to judge others because they don't do it the way you think they should, this is a, a serious thing we need to deal with. What this means for us is we need to purge, we need to remove, we need to repent of any sin in us and get the help of others where needed Phil Riken asks it this way, Are you nursing a private grudge? Are you indulging a secret lust? Do you think that worry and impatience are not really sins? They're just bad habits? Is there some area of your personal life where you've decided it's okay to be undisciplined and not have self-control in that area? Maybe you think it's only a small sin. Maybe from time to time you tell yourself you'll start to do something about it once it starts to get out of control. If that's where you are here today, there is a great spiritual danger because it's like yeast and it grows and you don't even know how it grows as it, as it permeates other things that you don't even see. It's going to keep growing and spreading until it corrupts everything. And so Paul says in verse 7, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. He's, he's speaking to the church, but this also speaks to them as individuals. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The end of verse 8 explains, With the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The unleavened bread he's talking about that we need to continually partake of is sincerity. And true. So if you've been insincere, if you've been untruthful in your love, the call for you is to cleanse with the help of the Spirit. Cleanse that out of your life. Cleanse out that old leaven of your old life. Whatever's coming back, wherever you're looking to the past where you, sh- you should not, you need to move forward. Flee from that. Flee to Christ because, he says, you are a new lump. You ever thought of yourself as a Lump. Some of us maybe are more so than others. I don't know, but I'm, I'm working on that. But we have a, a new life is, is the point here. We have a new life in Christ. We're unleavened. We're to live like it. You might say it this way. We're to be a starter for others. Some, something that we can share with others to, to help them and to start a, a new direction with our friendships, and our fellowship. So let's let the start of this new year be a time of spiritual spring cleaning. We need to beware the leaven, but we need to have these closing applications of behold the lamb. We've got to keep going to see the lamb and all this. Otherwise, we're just trying to deal with our sin without looking to the one who gives us power to defeat it. And so even right here, before we go back, the end of verse 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate. We have a Passover lamb. He's been sacrificed for us. He has been killed and sacrificed in our place. And, and this is what last time we saw Paul's building off what John the Baptist said when Jesus came. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus comes on the scene, that's what his, his forerunner, his announcer, wants, his, wants people to see. This is the Lamb, the Lamb of God. And they knew what that meant from, from Passover. But this is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. 
He doesn't just cover sin. He actually takes away sin for all those who believe in him. He is our Passover lamb. He has been sacrificed for us so that we can celebrate, not in the old way, in a new way. And and we talked about that last time on the eve of Passover. It was on the evening of Passover that Jesus took that cup in his hand of the new covenant in his blood. And he gave it a, a new significance. said, this is the blood that is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Of course, not the actual element in his hand, but he's talking about he's going to pour out his own blood. He's going to be that lamb. And also he takes the bread, the unleavened bread, and he broke it. And he said, this is, this is me. And he gave it to them. And it pictured their unity together, that they would be the body of Christ, which would become clearer later in the New Testament. But that's the way that we in the New Testament continue to partake in communion. Remember the text said, this is, this is for all your generations. Jesus says, we continue this until he comes again. We continue this, but it's in a new way that Jesus taught us. We celebrate the festival under Christ, our Passover lamb, and in purging Leaven, and even as we come to communion and the Lord's table, those elements from the Old Testament are to be in our mind as well. We're to be purging ourselves, examining ourselves, seeing where we need to pursue the Lord and behold Him together. So go back to Exodus 12. But as we do, we need to, by faith, behold the Lamb of God, the power over sin. And there is significant power in Sin. There can be great power from the past and from sin, even for believers here, but there's a greater power as we, as we look to the one who's been sacrificed to deal with sin. And, and if you don't yet know him as your Savior and Lord here today, I want to urge you, even before we look at these last points here, to turn from your sin, to, to trust in him, to ask him to cleanse your heart. Because works cannot save you. Doing any sort of ceremony or baptism or the Lord's table or any of that, none of that can save us. The only way to be saved is is to repent and behold the Lamb of God. That is to believe on Jesus as the Lamb of God, as the Passover slain for sinners. So with all that in mind, Exodus 12, verse 21. Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. So the elders were to lead in this, but it was actually every household and family was to partake in this. And this takes us back to where we started the poem, imagining it this way. This part of the ritual makes me real cautious. The very sight of blood makes me feel nauseous, snatching him close, slashing his throat, lamb's blood splashed on my coat, reacting, I choke, gasping. That's when I'm grasping God's reaction that sin provokes. You see, he's imagining a, a father even in that moment as he's, he's killing the lamb and and it's, he chokes, and, and it's, it's, it's a horrible thing. And then he's all, all of a sudden realizing and grasping, that's how God sees my sin. That, that's, that's what my sin, the reaction that, that God has. And it, it's, 
It's a horrible thing. It's a big thing. And it, it, it requires death. The wages of sin is death. But the faithful Israelite would behold the lamb that was slain. They would, take, they would see that lifeblood drain. They would gather it. And then they would put it on the doorpost. And, and they would be believing and understanding that that would be me if not for this substitute. If this isn't here, God is going to come and he's going to take life from our home. And so this is where they beheld God's love displayed that lamb had suffered in their place taking that death that they deserve so that they could know grace hallelujah i mean isn't this a wonderful picture verse 22 take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood a hyssop is a a branch of a plant and it would be used kind of like a, a paintbrush or it could be used to to splatter that is in the basin And touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the house. And will not allow the destroyer to enter into your houses to strike you. So God would look down and he would behold the lamb, the blood of the lamb, and his destruction would pass over. And the Israelite from his house would look up at the top of the doorpost and the sides of the doorpost, and they would behold the lamb's blood in faith and believe this is going to protect us from that death that would fall on us if we didn't do this. It wasn't enough that a lamb was slain. An animal dying doesn't do this. there, There had to be personal faith. They had to apply this blood personally by faith. And it wasn't enough to be in a believing home. They just believed that they had to personally be covered by the blood. And there's there's a warning in verse 22 not to go out of the house. Even if they've done all this, the implication is if they went out while that destroyer was coming, they would have died. And so they had to stay in that safe place. There was no other place where they could be saved, but in that place where the blood covered them, they had to be in the lamb. They had to be in his covering. And this hyssop plant would be used to spread or sprinkle that blood. The book of Hebrews says, When every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood and hyssop and sprinkled Some of that's talking about what would come later in the law, but Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Moses kept the Passover. It was by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And Hebrews 11 explains that Christ was actually, Moses was actually considering Christ. And he was considering Christ as greater than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking forward to the reward that would come in the Messiah. Moses knew he was coming and he was considering all this as he went out of Egypt, Hebrews 11 says. He's looking ahead to Christ. This is all pointing to the refuge, the mighty cross where, where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. This is where it's, it's pointing to. This is a picture of the gospel. The only safe place from eternal destruction is in Christ, covered by his blood. His blood that marks and seals those who are his. 
by faith. There's only one name under heaven that is given to men where we can be saved from God striking us down. And it's the name of Jesus. That's the only name. He's our refuge. He is our safe house from judgment. And so you need to stay in Him. Don't go out from Christ. Don't go out from the blessings of of Christ's people. Don't cut yourself off from this. Don't look outside of Christ and His people. It's in Christ that we have these blessings. And it's not enough to come from a believing home. I praise the Lord. There's a lot of children in this room who are in believing homes, but that's not enough. Everyone must personally apply this by faith. You've got to believe that Christ is your Passover lamb. He's your only hope. And it's not enough that the lamb was slain. It's not a universal atonement. Whoever believes will not perish, but whoever does not believe will perish. There is a a particular redemption. There is the redeeming of those who are covered by the blood, who apply the blood in faith. That's who the redeemed are. It's those who behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world for all who repent and trust Him. We look up in faith at the cross. We see the blood there. We behold the Lamb's blood there. God from heaven looks down in grace at the cross. He beholds the Lamb's blood. And an old hymn says, God's precious word, it stands forever true. When I, the Lord, shall see the blood, I will pass over you. On Christ, the sinless Lamb of God, the precious blood was shed when he fulfilled God's holy word and suffered in our stead. The wrath of God that was our due upon the Lamb was laid, and by the shedding of his blood, the debt for us was paid. Hallelujah. So what's the right response to all of this? Look at the end of verse 27. The people bowed their heads and worshipped. That's what we need to do. We need to worship him. We need to sing, thinking of these truths here just in a moment. And also verse 28, the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. They saw what God's word said. They heard it in this case. And they went out and did it, exact obedience, an exalting reverence. They come, they worship, and they bow down, they kneel before their God in faith, and then they go back to their homes, just like we're about to do. They trust and obey. They, they went back different. They went back seeking to, to do what God had said. We need to not just go back to sinful old habits and sinful ways and And let's be honest, those can come out in our home more than a lot of other places. We need to be cleansed in our homes, in our private lives. We need God's help. We need to bow to him for help, pray, bow our heads in prayer, ask for his help to obey, and like them, to cleanse, to purge, to purify, to apply the blood. And so I want to close in Psalm 51, if you want to turn there and just show you how the Bible itself turns this into a prayer as we go to prayer. And think about where in your life you need a clean sweep. Where have you not been obeying? Where has it been impacting others? Peter, 
1 Peter 1 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And he says, you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. This is chapter 2, what Corey preached on last time. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And you need to come to Christ and his word and taste and see that he is good, that he is better. But look with me at Psalm 51, verse 7. And I'm going to make this our prayer. Psalm 51, verse 7. He prays, David prays, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Our God, we thank you that even that very image of hyssop applying the blood that we can see how that applies to us, how we need to trust you. And even with the very language of Scripture, that you would be our covering, that you would be our cleansing, that you would purge us as, as you did with Egypt, as you did with David, even after his great sin of adultery and murder. Lord, you forgave him. You can forgive us. But help us to deal with sin in our hearts. And we pray with verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Lord, I pray that we would mean that prayer. That you would create a a, a clean heart. That that you would renew a right spirit. Wherever we're not right in our spirit towards others, Lord, renew that. Help us not to look back to the past, but to look forward in grace. And we thank you for the promise of verse 17. That the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore, that Christ is our sacrifice once and for all, but yet you do call us to be broken in repentance, and so I pray that we would have that broken and contrite heart, and that we would make things right with others where we need to. We pray all these things with the help of the Lamb of God. Amen.